this week on the Emmaus Institute for Disciple Making podcast. We begin the winter class called Follow Jesus, led by Pastor Travis, about foundational spiritual disciplines of the Christian faith. Okay, well, thanks again for joining us for these winter classes. First time doing it, so you guys are, um, you know, you're, you're pioneers in the winter classes, so well done. I was told not to call them winter specials, but I'm going to try my best not to do that. Uh, if you're here during the summer, you would know what that means. So, um, anyways, thank you for joining us. Uh, this class is called Follow Jesus Habits for Personal Spiritual Growth. Um, so that's exactly what we're going to be talking about, um, our spiritual growth, how we grow in the Lord. This is what we're called to do, right? When, we're, when we become believers, we are not supposed to stay where we're at. Uh, the big biblical word for that is sanctification. Um, it's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what our lives should look like. You know, it'll be this like roller coaster up and down, two steps forward, five steps back at times. Uh, but over the course of our lives, that should point in the direction of becoming more and more like Jesus. But how do we do that? Um, I don't know if you've ever felt this way. There have been times in my life where um, I just feel like I'm going through the motions, where I'm just opening up my Bible. There's nothing really happening. I read it for a few minutes. I'm bored. I'm not paying attention, not focused, um, and nothing's really changing in my life. I'm still struggling with the same sins over and over and over again. And it's not that um, you know, we're just messing up. It's that there's no even progress or fighting towards becoming more like Christ. So um, that is not what we're supposed to be. That's not the, the aim for our lives is not supposed to be that. It doesn't mean that we won't go through cycles of moments like that, which we do. Um, but again, the course of our lives should be pointing towards Jesus. We should be growing and becoming more like Jesus over the course of our lives. And, and one of the tools that we have to do that um, is what theologians called spiritual disciplines. You guys heard that term before, spiritual disciplines? They're exactly what they sound like, and it comes from um, 1 Timothy 4, 7, which says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And that word for train is exactly how it sounds. It's the word that we get, the, our word for gym or gymnasium. Um, so it's this gives this idea of working out, of putting effort and discipline towards something. So theologians have taken that and created this term called spiritual disciplines. We see a bunch throughout scripture. Uh, we see a ton of different things that could be called spiritual disciplines. Um, my favorite book on spiritual disciplines, I've got all the resources that I'll be referencing up here for you guys to look at later, but um, this one by Donald Whitney. Um, awesome stuff on spiritual disciplines. He is really the best in my opinion. Um, it's spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. You can come look at that afterwards if you want to. Um, but in there he, t he has like 15 chapters and they're all dedicated to one specific type of spiritual discipline. So there's lots of different spiritual disciplines. So we could take this direction in a whole bunch of different ways, but I wanted to hone the focus um, on personal spiritual growth. So there's, uh, you know, spiritual disciplines for like silence and solitude and worship and evangelism. Um, all of those things are awesome. And yes, we should be coming to church and worshiping and singing praises. And yes, we should be sharing our faith. And yes, just like Jesus who pulled away from the crowds, there are moments where we need to pull away from things and spend time in silence and solitude. Those are all awesome. Great things. If you want to learn more about the spiritual disciplines, I would really encourage you to get Donald Whitney's book. Um, read that because it's amazing. Um, but today and in this class over the next three weeks, like I said, what we're going to be focusing on is personal spiritual growth. And with that, we're going to focus on the spiritual disciplines of reading and studying your scripture, studying your Bible, meditation, and prayer. So those are the three big categories that we're going to be hitting. 
And that's where we're going over the next three weeks. That's what you're gonna see in your packet laid out there as well. Um, but why these three? Uh, well, in my humble opinion, um, because Brian gave me permission to lead this class how I wanted to, my personal opinion, I believe that your personal devotional time or personal quiet time, whatever phrase or name you wanna to attach to those moments where you set aside to spend time with the Lord every single day, or try to spend time with the Lord every single day, um, I believe that that time should be built with studying your Bible, meditating on scripture, and prayer. Um, so I wanna teach you how to incorporate those three things into a personal and devotional time with the Lord. And I believe when these three things are done consistently, it will lead you towards spiritual growth. It will lead you towards long-term spiritual growth. Uh, it will hopefully, Lord willing, shorten those moments of the dry seasons where we just feel like, man, I'm not connecting. The Lord is silent. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's happening. I'm not growing. We are still going to have those moments. But I believe if we incorporate these three things consistently, day by day, um, those moments will be uh, far fewer, in my opinion. So, and, and honestly, like anything we want to accomplish, just like what this verse says, we are going to have to train ourselves. This is a discipline because there are going to be days that you're not going to want to read your Bible. There's going to be days where you want to just quickly go through the process. There's going to be days where honestly, you just might not have time. And, and like, I just want you to hear like, that's okay. We're not graded on perfect attendance with our spiritual disciplines. That's not how the Bible works. That's not how our Lord thankfully works. Like if I miss a day, it's not like, oh, Travis, I cannot believe you did that. That is just, you know, now you're bumped down to a B-level Christian. You were at an A, but now you're B. Like, that's not how the Lord works, okay? Like, that is not at all how it works. Thankfully, through the righteousness of Christ, God, when he sees us, only sees Christ's perfection and not our many failures. So um, it's not it, um, but it will take work. It is going to take discipline, and I believe uh, if we want habits to form, um, you know, you have to do it over an extended amount of time on a regular basis. Um, so we're coming into the new year. We've all probably got our resolutions to eat healthier and work out and all these other things. And we might be great for the first week or the first two weeks or the first month. But man, when we start trailing off, when those habits, when those uh, times of us just pushing through and saying, I'm going to do this because I know this is what's best for me, when that stops happening, our gym attendance starts to wane and we start, you know, going back to McDonald's and we shouldn't and, you know, maybe that's just me. But um, anyways, we have to push through. We have to discipline ourselves. And when we do, when we find consistency, man, that's when growth is really going to happen. When this becomes a habit of our lives, that's when we're going to see consistent growth. So um, we're going to start with the discipline of studying our Bible. Um, why do we do that? Well, according to 2 Timothy 3, uh, this is really important. So this says, uh, starting in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's the scripture. That's the Bible that Paul's talking about here. The sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here's a key passage. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right, so first, ladies, just because it says man of God doesn't mean that it also means woman of God, okay? So that's including you too. Um, don't, don't worry about that. But here's what we see about scripture. It makes us wise for salvation. It's, it's breathed out by God. Another word for that is inspired. 
by God. I like breathe out because it's more intimate and it's, it's an action rather than like inspire. That seems kind of distant in my opinion, but, but God is breathing out his words through the biblical authors. So when we read the word, when we read the Bible, we're reading the very words of God. You know, I'll have conversations with, with people at times where they're like, man, I just wish it'd be so cool. Like the prophets, they heard God audibly or like Moses, which we're going to see in the tabernacle. Here's God audibly or on the mountain. That would be so cool. And I'm like, yeah, it would. Just read your Bible out loud and you'll hear the same thing. Like these are the very words of God. That's how big of a deal our Bible is. It's extremely important. So it's breathed out by God and it's profitable. For all of these things, for teaching us, for correcting us, for training us, that same word that we saw in, in, second, or, yeah, in 1 Timothy 4, for training in righteousness so that we can become more holy, we can become more like Jesus, so that we can be complete and equipped for every good work that the Lord will call us to. Everything starts with our Bible. This is so, so important, so key for our spiritual growth. And the sad thing is, is, when there's been studies done on this, what we see is that Christians today don't really know their Bible. Um, you know, we kind of talk about this in different sermons where people, you know, hopefully you guys can name the, the Ten Commandments now that we spent like 11 weeks on it, I think, actually, if we like timed it all out. Um, I think we took more than one week per commandment, but maybe I'm wrong. But we spent a lot of time on it, so hopefully you should know that. But most Christians don't. Most Christians uh, don't know that Joan of Arc has no relation to Noah who built the ark, okay? Like, that's just, you know, we laugh about these things, but it's so true. Like, there's so many studies and surveys that have been done that show that Christians today are illiterate when it comes to their Bible. And that deeply saddens me because if these are the very words of God and if this was given to us by God to reveal himself and to teach us and to show us who he is and how we're supposed to live our lives, like, man, we should know our Bible. We should know it. But I also understand why. I understand because sometimes you open up to Exodus chapter 21 and you leave, read about slaves hitting each other and you're like, I don't understand what this is talking. What do you mean somebody got hit? Somebody hit a pregnant woman and the baby came out? What is happening? Like, I get it. There are some weird passages in the Bible. And sometimes that can be really intimidating. Um, and sometimes we don't know where to go with it. And it's a lot easier to open up a devotional book that has maybe a verse or two in it and four paragraphs about that person's understanding of that one or two verses. And if we can just read that and take a little golden nugget out of it for our day, like that's really easy. And I'm not, I am a little bit, I am hating on devotionals a little bit. I'm trying not to. They can be very helpful. But as believers, that is like the, the ground floor. And if you've been a believer in here for any length of time, like, we got to start growing in our understanding of God's Word. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit to do His job, which is to illuminate and reveal the Scriptures to us, rather than somebody else doing that work for us. So devotionals are a great tool. Sermons are great. You should listen on Sunday when you're here. And if you're not here, catch the podcast. Listen to other podcasts. There's lots of great Christian podcasts out there. Eat it all up. There's awesome books. I have a whole carpet filled with books over here. And this is like barely scratching the surface of books that I would love to recommend for you. There's no shortage of being able to learn from other gifted authors, pastors, and theologians. And we should absolutely do that. But I think too often it is easy for us to let somebody else do the work than us doing our own work. So we rely on sermons. We rely on that quick little email devotional that we get. We rely on a podcast. We rely on some social media post that is really awesome and great and uplifting. And those things aren't bad. 
But if you're doing that as a substitute for you digging into God's word, I think that's where we can get ourselves in, in, into trouble. And honestly, we're just missing out. Like we're missing out on the richness that is found in studying God's word. So my goal with this next step, uh, with these steps and with this process is to do just that, is to give you a process so that when you come to your devotional time, it's not, well, I don't even know where to start, so I'm just not going to do anything. I'm going to give you a plan. I'm going to give you a process. I'm going to answer any questions you might have about that. And my goal is to have you walk out of these three weeks knowing exactly what to do every day when you open up your scriptures and to also give you the confidence to open up any book of the Bible and study it, knowing that you can study it and read it and apply it to your life. So yes, even those weird law passages in Leviticus, I like... I love the first five books of the Bible. Like this law stuff that we're doing, Anson's like ramming his head against the wall in his office coming to the sermon. And I'm like, dude, I would love to do all these weeks for you. I love this stuff. I geek out on the Old Testament law. It's weird. I know, I, but I do. That and eschatology, I could talk all day about it. So I love Leviticus. You guys are like, who reads Leviticus? I love it. Love it. I'm trying to talk Anson to do that right after. Let's just go right into Exodus or right into Leviticus and he won't go for it. Um, he's a lot smarter than I am, but I would love to do that. Um, so I want you to feel confident to open up to these weird things that we see in the scripture, these, these like hard to pronounce minor prophets in your Old Testament, like what do we do with those? I wanna give you the tools to be able to open those up, read them and dig deep into that and see the richness that every aspect of God's word has for us. So that's my goal, that's my hope, and that's what we're gonna do, um, starting with opening up our scriptures and trying to figure out what do we do when we come to our Bible. So that's where we're going. Any questions so far? Perfect. Look at that. Awesome. Okay, so uh, we're going to go through what, what we, we teach this in men's and women's Bible studies. We teach this all over the place. I'm going to, if you go to those settings, you are like, man, I've heard this before. I'm going to try to give you my own little spin on it as well. So hopefully um, you'll get something out of it as well. Um, but we have three steps to studying the Bible that we teach and I believe are really good. Um, it's observation, interpretation, and application. So we're going to walk through those. We're going to start with observation. Um, first, that's our first step. So observation, and you can see this in your packet, um, starting right here on the first page. The question that we ask ourselves in this first step is what does it say? What does the text say? What does the passage we're studying say? This is the first step in the process. Essentially, this is you getting back in your high school English or college English classes, reading comprehension. I mean, just the basics. What does it say? Um, and a lot of times we want to like over spiritualize and overcomplicate things. I'm going to try to help you not do that. Okay, like this is real basic. What does it say? What's it talking about surface level? What does it say? What are you reading? What's going on here? So this is the first part of knowing uh, or, or studying our Bible because we actually have to know what the Bible says in order to study it deeply. So we have to get beyond um, just, you know, giving up or I just, you know, read this one verse and that sounds cool. So I'm just going to take that and run with it. No, what does the text actually say? What does the passage actually say? And to do this, this is where we have to go against the grain of our Western American mindset, and we have to slow down. We have to slow down. The way I'm going to teach you to study your Bible is not going to be able to be completed in five minutes. So if that's all the time you have, please come talk to me because I can help you with that and give you something new in five minutes. This is going to take a little bit of time. Starting out, it might only take 10 minutes, all right? So like, I'm not trying to be like, you have to spend an hour and a half in your Bible every day. I'm not, because I don't do that, all right? I'm not telling you to do that. Um, but you are going to have to slow down. You're going to have to slow down and spend time in the passage. Spend time 
wherever you find yourself that day. Spend time there. Read it. Read it slowly. And then read it again. Read it. I mean, and just jot things down. We're going to talk about this. But read it. Read it slowly. And read it several more times. My personal suggestion would be this. Um, devotionals are great. They can give you like a, you know, a few nuggets really quickly. They can give you a wide range of verses found in other different parts of the Bible. Um, but my personal recommendation, and going through a Bible study that you know, hits on different things and hits on topics, that's great too. My personal recommendation would be to pick a book of the Bible and spend time studying that particular book. And take your time. Take your time. Don't feel like you have to be on this clock of, well, I got, you know, Philippians has four chapters, so I've got four days to spend there. No, you could spend weeks in Philippians. There's some good stuff there. But yeah, on the surface, it would probably take you, you know, 20 minutes to read through the entire letter of Philippians. Um, but slow down. So pick a Bible and pick a book of Bible and spend some time there. And then when you're done with that, pick another book of the Bible. Maybe go in order. If you want to start in Genesis and work your way through, great. You're going to get to one of my favorite books, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, soon enough, and I would love to chat with you about that. Um, do that. Um, and, and like, so here's the other thing I would say, and I don't, want to, I don't want to dump on this because I think it's a really good thing. There are a lot of Bible reading plans that you can find out there. If you just Google read your Bible in a year, you'll find things that will tell you, here's all the stuff that you need to read in a year to be able to be, or every single day to be done with the Bible in a year. I think that's great because it exposes you to maybe books of the Bible that you would never go to otherwise. So I think that's great. If you've never read through your entire Bible, like do that. That would be awesome. Great. Do that. Um, but what it's going to do is you're going to be reading a lot and you're going to get, I, in my opinion, it could tend towards getting lost in what's happening. Um, so it's just, it flies by. <clears throat> a lot of these plans have you reading in something in the Old Testament, something in the Psalms, something in the Old Testament history, and then something in the New Testament every single day, like multiple chapters. Like that's just a lot. That's a lot. It covers a lot of different genres, which we're going to talk about. That's just a lot. It's like drinking from a fire hose. But if you've never exposed yourself to the entire book, of the, like all the books of the Bible, that's a great place to start. Travis's personal recommendation here, and you're going to hear a lot of these, so take them if you want to. Just leave them. Don't tell me so I don't get my feelings hurt. But my personal recommendation would be to pick a book of the Bible and study it. And then when you're done, pick another one and alternate between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It doesn't have to be like, <clears throat> you know, one for one or whatever. But, you know, you read a few New Testament books. Okay, now it's time to take the plunge and, and jump into the Old Testament. I know it's weird and scary, but it's really good. Okay, I promise. Um, it's all God's word. So that's what I would recommend. <clears throat> and at the end of this class, um, I'm going to give you a resource, two resources actually, that will help you do just this. And I'll give you some good, in my opinion, some good, a good starting point in the New Testament and a good starting point in the Old Testament if you've never done this. Um, so stay tuned for that. We'll give those out on the third week. All right, so that's my helpful suggestions. All right, so there's two parts to observation, two steps. The first part, first step is historical context. Historical context is a fancy word that just means knowing what's going on in that book of the Bible. What is happening in that book of the Bible? Historical context helps you put that book that you're studying or that passage into the world of the original audience. And this is so so important. We have to know what's going on with the original audience so that we can understand what it meant to them and then bridge that gap to where we are today in what is now 2020. Um, we have to be able to understand what is happening in that original place. Um, so as we uh, begin to do this, here are some questions that I would recommend finding the answers to. So when you come to a book of the Bible, I would recommend finding these answers 
first. And I'll tell you how to do that or what I would recommend um, on how to do that. But we have to have these answers. So who is the author? Who wrote the book? This is really important. So here's just let me give you a quick like rundown on, on how biblical inspiration works. Um, the Holy Spirit spoke to those people who were writing the books of the Bible so that when they were writing, they were writing exactly what God wanted them to say. But God didn't just like override them and turn them into robots for a second. God used their experiences and their personality and their specific circumstances that they found themselves in to write that book of the Bible. So who wrote it is extremely important. So we have to know who wrote it. Hopefully we can know a little bit about them. Like we know Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament up until it says in Deuteronomy 34 that that Moses died. He didn't write that part. Somebody else did. But Moses wrote everything else as best as we can understand it. That's helpful to know because we know who Moses is. We learn a lot about Moses in the first five books of the Old Testament. So we can kind of see who this Moses is, what his personality is, and how he brings that into the Holy Spirit's inspiration. So that's really important to know. So we have to know who wrote it. When did the author write? This is also really important, um, especially when you get kind of into the New Testament and what's happening in the first century with uh, Rome and their persecution of the church and all that kind of stuff. Like, this is important. When did the author write? Where did the author write? Like, it's really important to know that Paul wrote Philippians when he was in jail. So when he writes that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, when he says that I can find contentment in any situation, he's doing that in jail. That's really important to know. That brings a whole new understanding to that section of scripture. That's really important to know. So where did they write from? Who was the book written to? The original audience is really important here. Really important. We have to know who the, the author was writing to. This is a big deal. Um, so like, for example, Hebrews is one of my favorite books, of the, the entire Bible, probably my favorite. Um, it's written to Jewish believers. That's really important to know because the author, again, I love the Old Testament. So this is like scratching my itch when I read Hebrews, references a ton of stuff in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system. Like you have to understand Leviticus in order to understand Hebrews, in my opinion. So that's why I love it. Those two pair together wonderfully. Um, so you have to know like that, that, Makes sense. Like knowing that they were Jewish Christians gives you a big clue. Okay, he's going to be pulling a lot of stuff from Jewish history, from Jewish tradition, from the Old Testament. So we need to be ready for that. Um, So those are big, important details. Uh, Where did the original audience live? Another big deal. Uh, Why was it written? So the purpose or occasion for writing. Um, Thankfully, Paul helps us out here in the New Testament by giving us some specific reasons on why he's writing to these different churches. That's helpful. Um, The prophets are also pretty easy to know. Why is this person writing these prophecies down? Well, because they're condemning Israel for their sin. Like it's pretty easy to tell what specific sins are going on here from that. But those are really helpful in understanding what's going on and the purpose for it. So knowing the answers to these questions will help you reconstruct the world of the original audience so that you can better understand what that book meant to them. So again, you can build a bridge to your current situation. So you have to understand what's going on there before you can move forward. Um, Now the question you might be asking is, okay, that's great, Travis, but where do I find this information? I'm glad you asked. That's a great question. So let me tell you um, a couple like old school, uh, you know, paper ways to do that that I would personally recommend. Um, And then I'll show you an easy, quick way to do it on the internet. But um, the first thing I would recommend is get a study Bible. 
get a study Bible. I would personally recommend the ESV, um, but the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, is becoming quickly my second favorite translation. And I'll talk about translations um, later on down the road, but um, get a study Bible. Because when you open up to the, the first book of a Bible, um, in these study Bibles, what you're going to have, if I can find it here in a lot of introductory stuff. All right, see here, introduction to Genesis. You're going to have author, title, date. You're going to have uh, the place that it finds itself in Scripture, the arrangement of the book. It's going to give you kind of a breakdown of the big sections. It's going to give you a breakdown of key themes. Um, it's going to give you um, an outline and what's going on, like important things to know. So if you invest in a study Bible, and yeah, these things can get a little expensive, like 50 bucks or more, um, but you don't have to get like one of the fancy ones. Like they have like the Reformation study Bible or apologetic study Bible. Like those are great. Just get a simple one. All right, just get the basic ESV study Bible is what I would recommend to you. ESV study Bible um, is a really important thing. So I would recommend if you don't have a study Bible, invest in a study Bible um, as soon as possible and use this when you read your Bible. Um, so that's what I would say your number one thing would be. Um, Another thing, again, if you want to take a little step further, if this is brand new to you, um, you know, you can ignore this. But if you um, have been a believer for a long time and just want to take some more steps, I would recommend getting an introduction to the Old or New Testament. These are essentially called survey books. So what they're going to do is they're going to answer those questions that I gave you in much greater detail. These are my two favorites. I would highly recommend these. Um, again, this is kind of like, you know, the next step up. So get your study Bible and maybe down the road, if you want to get one of those, if you've been a believer for a long time and don't have a survey book, invest in these. They're really good. Okay. So the free way to do this, so you don't have to buy anything. There's this awesome website called the bibleproject.com. And I'm going to show you how to use that. And don't feel like you got to take a bunch of notes. I made a video of what I'm about to show you in a little bit more detail, and I'll send you the links of that and other things that I'll show you, um, in an email probably tomorrow. So don't feel like you got to, uh, pay attention to every little thing that I'm doing here and take notes. So all you got to do is go to the bibleproject.com. Populates because I find myself here a lot. Um, oh, let me drag this over here so you guys can actually see it. My bad. There we go. All right. So this is the bibleproject.com. They have a ton of awesome free videos on a ton of different stuff. It's really, really good. Um, my personal favorite is to, to watch it to get this historical context. So what I do, you can just scroll down here. They have a bunch of good stuff, like you know their latest thing, what's going on there. Um, but here's where all of their Bible videos are. So they'll have like their different uh, main topics or series, themes, word study, Old Testament, New Testament. Um, you can just go down here to explore all. And again, I'll, I got a video that walks you through all of this stuff. So I don't feel like you have to remember this or take notes. Um, all right, so you scroll down here and here's where all of their videos are. So they have some series. So they're how to read the Bible, what I'm teaching you now, they got really, Great stuff on that. Um, the Torah series, obviously, I love the Torah. Um, that's the first five books of the Old Testament. So um, I love that. But uh, what I would recommend is finding whatever book you're going to pick. So, you know, if it's a New Testament book, you come down here. Let's say you want to read through a letter, which is an easy entry point. Um, so Colossians, I love Colossians. We did a sermon series on that two summers ago. So here's your Colossians page. And there's just, you know, introductory stuff. And they do all this, like, cool animation stuff. So here's the video. And this will give you um, all of the background information to it. Um, I'm not going to, obviously, show this whole thing. But this is how it works. It will give you all of the historical context of what we're talking about. Who wrote it? Why they wrote it? When they wrote it? Where were they writing to? What are the key themes? 
all in a less than 10 minute video to help you get those answers. Um, so Bible Project is awesome. I love the Bible Project. I mean, they've even got some cool stuff on here. Um, let me scroll back up. Um, like some of their themes, um, like this is like the Messiah one. I did that recently when I was prepping for um, my sermon uh, in the Thrill of Hope series. That was really good. Um, word studies, like different um, things here that, that are used. Uh, this Advent series was really cool. Um, so, you know, we had the four weeks of Advent, and that was kind of the new thing for you, like it was for me when we first started doing it. And we had the different weeks of hope and peace, uh, joy and love. Like they have a video on each of those. Like this is just really helpful stuff, and it's all free. Um, so these guys are awesome that do it. This whole organization is amazing. So that's a free way and an easy way to go and get this historical context because I know most people don't have the access to the resources that I do, but there's some really good stuff happening for free out there that really talented people are doing. So I love the Bible Project. I would totally recommend the Bible Project. And again, I have a video that I'll send you a link on how I walk through that. Um, but what I would say is don't automatically rush to these resources. Again, we, I want you guys to do a little bit more work. So um, try to find as many answers as you can in the book itself. Um, and what that usually means is reading the entire book at times or reading big chunks or kind of like, um, I mean, yeah, essentially just kind of like skimming a little bit to kind of see the key themes and breakdowns of what's going on. Um, I think a good example is First Peter. Um, it's pretty easy, so I just want to point out some things. When you come to First Peter, oh man, I just lost my place. First Peter, here we go. Um, First Peter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus, so we know who wrote it, Peter. And he was the Peter that we see in the Gospels, Peter the apostle. So we know who that is. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, so what that means is he's writing to elect, that's a, that's a cue for these are believers, people that have put their faith in Jesus. Exiles, we know what that word means, these people that have been exiled from their homes. It's not like, you know, what does exile mean in biblical times? No, it means the same thing today. Um, so they're exiles, that means they're, they're not in their, their homes. And it's the dispersion, um, I'm not going to get into that, but basically what happened is like there was some persecution happening and Jews out of Jerusalem spread to all parts of the known world at that point. So Peter is writing to people who are not where they are from. They are living far from their, their land. He's writing to them. And what we see, if you continue reading through the first chapter, you're going to get to verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That's a key theme in First Peter. You're going to see that repeated over and over again. So why is Peter writing? He's writing to believers who have been cast out of their homes due to persecution. Now they're facing even more persecution in the place where they find themselves today. He's writing to encourage them and love on them. Like that brings new light to reading things like when he says you're born again to a living hope, when he talks about um, how we uh, have been made to be the people of God, when he talks about, you know, standing up to authority, but doing so in a Christ-honoring way, um, not always feeling like you have to defend yourself. Like reading those verses are great and you can gain really good truth from it, but knowing the background brings even more to light. So this is really important. Historical context um, is really, really key. It's a really big deal. So that's the first step. So try to, to get as much as you can from reading on your own. You're not going to get everything. Like, we have no idea when Peter wrote. There, we're not going to find that in reading this. Like, we just don't know. You're not going to find that on your own. I'm not going to find that on my own. Like, we have to have help with those kind of things. Um, we also don't know where Peter is writing from necessarily from just reading that little bit. So there are things that you do have to go and search, um, but the Bible Project is a really good place, but you should also invest in a study Bible. All right. 
Um, okay, so that's the first step in uh, reading. So this is before you really even dig into a specific passage or a specific text. This is all like overview stuff, okay? So do that before you get started. The next step, observation. Um, observation, the second part of that is reading comprehension, essentially. So the second step is comprehension. First step, historical context. Second step is comprehension. So a few things that I would recommend doing as you get started with this. <clears throat> the first step, if you can, read the book in its entirety. Now, I know when I say that, somebody in here would be like, well, you know, Genesis has 50 chapters. Yes, I'm well aware of that. Um, Isaiah has 66, so it's a lot. And Psalms has, you know, 150, so that's a lot too. Um, for shorter, smaller books, especially New Testament letters, which um, you're going to know more about that um, as we continue on. But the, the letters that were written by Paul and Peter and John, if you can read those in one sitting as you get started, that would be the best. Because when we receive a letter from somebody, we don't read a, like a paragraph and then we put it down until next week or a couple days later or whatever. Like that's not how we do it. The, these letters that Paul wrote to these churches were meant to be read all together, just like every other letter that we've ever received has meant to be done. So read in its entirety. I, like, I get it. If you're going to study, like, I mean, even, I mean, Judges has like 20-something chapters in it, I think. I might be making that up. It might be 30. But either way, like, that's not a ton, but that's still a lot. Like, that's a good chunk. So I'm not saying, like, you, I'm not, like, a stickler on this. I'm not saying, like, if you don't do this first step, like, you're not going to understand. Like, that's not what I'm trying to say. It's a good recommendation if you're going to study a bigger book. So what I've been doing, um, I started studying Luke. Um, it's probably been almost a year ago. I think I started in March last year. And I'm intentionally taking it extremely slow. Um, like I'm, you know, I'm going really slow. But, and I'm not saying you have to do that. But what I do, I didn't read Luke all the way through. I didn't do that. So just, you know, full honesty, I didn't do this first step. But what I am doing is I'm, as I've, studied the book of Luke, I've kind of, in my mind, I've broken it down into different sections. We're going to talk about what, how to do that in a second, but um, what I've done is I've just kind of, I read those sections, or if there's like, uh, like, so Luke 15, all those parables build off of each other, so you have the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, the prodigal son. All of those build off of each other, and Jesus is relaying the same exact point in different ways. You should read all of Luke 15, and then you should spend time in each little parable in each little section. Uh, so like I spent almost a week in Luke 15, just to let you know like my process a little bit. Um, so I would say if you're going to do a larger book, like Luke is a larger book, there's like 24 chapters or something like that in there. Um, you don't have to read all of it, but read maybe sections at a time and then spend more time in those sections before you move on. Does that make sense? Is that making sense to you guys? Okay. Um, but it is a good, you know, a good thing to keep in mind, like read big chunks at a time and then boiled that like marinate in those other smaller sections within the larger section is what I would recommend. Um, so read it if you can, read it through, um, and then study one section at a time. Um, so really spend time in that section. Um, so this is where like um, verses and chapters are really helpful because I can say go to Isaiah 53 verse 6 and you'll know exactly how to find that. Even if you don't know where Isaiah is, you can look up in the table of contents and know, okay, Isaiah, and then I flip until the big number says 53, and then the little number says six. Like, you can find that. So verses and chapters are very helpful. That was added in hundreds of years later after the New Testament was completed. So this was not some, like, the, 
the, the chapters and verses are not inspired. Those numbers are not from the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the people who divided it, I don't even know how they were doing it because sometimes they're just terrible. I'm like, who did this and why? This is not helpful at all. Um, so they're great, but they could also just kind of like, you know, narrow our focus. We're like, okay, well, I read a chapter and clearly because the chapter ends, that means this section ends. And like, that's not really the case sometimes. So you have to get a wider view of the book, which is why reading in its entirety is helpful because you'll kind of see the natural breakdown of sections and especially in the Old Testament with narratives. Sometimes narratives can last for chapters, but you need to understand what's going on in that entire narrative so you can understand the smaller sections of it. Um, So keep that in mind. They are not inspired from the Holy Spirit, but they are helpful. So sometimes if you have a good Bible, they'll have different headings throughout the chapters. Like you can use that as a helpful tool to know what are some sections, how do I break down what I'm studying, what, you know, where do I start, where do I stop. Um, so use that as a helpful tool. The other thing I would say is, um, you know, try to, to come up with an outline. Reading it on your own in its entirety will help you do that. But understand, like, that's difficult. That's even difficult for me a lot of times to come up with my own outline. Again, if you have a good study Bible, they do the hard work for you. So they have an outline in here, and thankfully the ESV guys were not tied to um, chapter and verse as much. And you'll kind of see how somebody else uh, who has dedicated their life to doing this breaks down that book into different sections and bigger sections and then smaller sections. So this is, again, like this is so key to have a study Bible where some of that hard work is done for you, really helpful. So use that as a guide. Use your chapters and verses as a guide. Use the the little headings above certain paragraphs as a guide, but then also use your own wisdom. As you're reading through things, as you're thinking through things, you can kind of see, okay, well, like I don't, this story's not done yet. Like in the old, in Genesis, you'll see Jacob's story last for a long time. Like you can know because you'll keep seeing Jacob's name recurring over and over again. Like you know his story's not done. So read until his story's done and then go back and divide it into smaller sections from there. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me on that? Okay, cool. So study one section at a time. And then here's where things start to really get into the work of it. Um, Pay attention to details. Pay attention to details. So here are some things that I would recommend asking yourself. Look for repetition. If something repeats, that is a big deal. If you see a word that's repeating over and over again or even three or four times, That's a big deal to cue you in as to what a key theme or a key subject is in the section that you find yourself. Okay, so look for things that repeat. If you have to, you know, if you want to circle things in your Bible, go for it. If you're like, no, I do not mark up the Word of God, um, I get that. I totally do. That's why I bought myself a journaling Bible, um, and I have been marking this thing up like nobody's business. Um, But I don't mark up like my normal Bible that I study from or preach from, Um, so I get that. But look for repetition. Circle things or jot down in a journal. Um, I'm going to talk about journaling. That is so key in my opinion. That's a big deal. Um, But jot things down. Look for things that stand out. So another thing, um, and this is again, like if you read, like anybody in here love novels? I love novels. Like a good novel is just awesome. Man, y'all need to read more novels, okay? Come on now. Find me afterwards. I'll give you a recommendation. Um, It's going to be Harry Potter, just so you know. Um, I'll be a believer then. Lord of the Rings, fine. I can do that too. That's fine. That's allowable. Or C.S. Lewis. Um, But so as we read these kind of things, as as we read other things, whether it's even uh, a journalism article or a blog online or whatever, like people, when they write, will use different figures of speech. Like everything's not meant to be taken literally. It's the same with scripture. Like, oh, did he just say don't take the Bible literally? Yeah, sometimes. 
Sometimes you're not supposed to. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, probably next week. But you're not always meant to take everything literally. Sometimes figurative speeches are just that. They're meant to be figurative. We can pick up on that because we use it in our everyday language. The biblical authors are the same way. So look for figures of speech. Look for symbolic language. That's a big deal. That should cue you in. Try to figure out what those symbols are pointing to. What is revealed about the motives or emotions of those that are in the passage? This is a big deal if you're reading narrative, especially in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. What's going on with the characters? How are sentences constructed? Notice the pronouns, the verb tenses, the conjunctions. If you see things like therefore or but or so, that should be a big blinking red light to you that this is a big deal. The author is making a point. If there's an if statement, look for the then. What's the cause? What's the effect? What's going on here? Like this will bring you back to your high school and college grammar days, which I do not, I'm not good at grammar. I'm just not. I'm terrible at it. Um, but we can at least notice when somebody, when the author say he, who is he referring to? Don't just go, oh, he is, you know, whatever. That's not a big deal. No, it's a big deal. Know who they're talking about. Who are they referencing? Um, again, notice conjunctions. Notice verb tenses. Are things in the past tense or things in the current tense? What's happening in there? Pay attention to the details and just ask yourself questions. Um, you know, are there cultural or background details given in the passage that you find yourself? Um, ask yourself these kind of questions, like, what is going on? What's happening? And if you read it and you're like, I have no idea what's happening, that's awesome. Then you can start to parse through the details and go, okay, well, I do know this. I do know that this pronoun links to this person. I do know that they were saying something, and then there was a therefore, and then they sort of changed their mind. Okay, so what's, what happened before the therefore and what happened after the therefore, that's a big deal. That'll help you understand. So pay attention to the details and ask yourselves questions. Tracking with me so far? Cool. Okay, use multiple translations. This is a big deal. So I want to camp out here for a minute. Translations are a big deal. So when you're studying your Bible, use a really good translation. All right, use a good translation. And so let me just, I'll give you a, an image here, how translations are done. So what translations are supposed to do, the Bible was not written in English. Okay, I don't care what the people that made the KJV say, that, that is not the Lord's language, okay? Sorry, <laughs> he spoke Aramaic most likely, all right? Not English. But what they do is translators take the original Hebrew. The Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew. There are sections, especially in Weird Daniel, of Aramaic, but it's primarily written in Hebrew. The New Testament is primarily written in what is called Koine Greek. It's not normal Greek language. It's a dead version of Greek that is not spoken today, similar to the current language of Greek, but it's not the same. But that's what the primary language of the New Testament was. Anybody in here speak Greek or Hebrew? All right, me either. Randy a little bit, because he's been to seminary. I am. I'm not taking those classes yet, thankfully. Um, I don't speak that either. But if we have a good Bible translation, we don't have to be Greek or Hebrew scholars, because there's people that we can rely on who have, again, done the hard work for us that we can rely on and trust. So here's what I would recommend is to find a good what is called word-for-word -word translation. So let me just, again, a little bit on translations. Um, there's a... a, a a scale to how translations are done. So when groups of people are making a translation, they can go more word for word. So what they try to do is they take the Hebrew word, the Greek word, and they try to find an equivalent English word that goes with that. And they also try to keep the sentence structure, which is very important, the sentence structure of what's happening in that original language. You guys tracking so far? Cool. 
then as you go on the scale, there's more dynamic or thought for thought or even what's called paraphrase. And what they'll do is they'll take a section and they'll put that into today's language. So essentially they're doing a little bit more translating work for you. They're taking this thought of what's going on. They take the thought in the original language and they try to put that thought into English terms. Does that make sense? Okay. So if you're going to study your Bible and dig deep into scripture, I would recommend a more formal or word for word translation. So interlinear over there, I'm going to show you that probably next week with this awesome website that I use all the time. That is, is like, you'll have the original language and then like a direct uh, translation to the English word. And it will not make sense at all because like the Hebrew and the Greek, like the way they wrote in that time, especially Hebrew, like it is choppy and kind of confusing. So like interlinear is really cool to see. And again, I'll show you a website that I use for that, um, but it won't make any sense. You don't get an interlinear Bible, um, not necessary. But what I would recommend is the ESV. That's what we use on, on Sundays at Emmaus is the ESV. That's called the English Standard Version. Awesome. I love it. Um, before the ESV came around, I would say the NASB, which you see just to the left of the ESV, that's New American Standard. That's what I would have recommended. But the NASB is really choppy and it's not as easy to read um, because, again, they're, they're more formal than the ESV. is. So I love the ESV because it's a really good word for word translation, but it's readable. It's really readable, which I love. Um, so I would recommend the ESV. The other one that I mentioned earlier up at the top towards the middle is the CSB. That's the Christian Standard Bible. Um, now, again, it, it's a little further towards the thought for thought. So they are taking a little bit more liberty uh, with the translation and giving you more of a thought for thought at times. But I really like what they've done with it. There's people on the board of that translation committee that I really respect and really admire and really trust. So that's a really good translation. I've really enjoyed And this is a, this is a newer one. So if you're familiar with translations, if the Holman Christian Standard Bible makes sense to you, what they did is Lifeway got rid of that. The SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, they got rid of that and they started fresh with the Christian Standard Bible. And I think they did a really good job. I didn't really love the HCSB. I didn't think it was that great, but the CSB is really, really good. So if you're going to get a Bible um, and you're like, man, that's cool that we use the ESV on Sunday, but I don't really care about y'all. I'm going to do my own thing. Um, I would push you towards the CSB. Honestly, don't tell anybody this because I'll deny it, but it's like my 1B at this point. Like, I really like it. Really love it. If we switch to that, I'd be totally fine with it, honestly. Don't tell Anson I said that. Um, I'm just kidding. He doesn't care. Um, but the CSB is really, really good. So as you continue on this spectrum, you see the NIV. That's a really popular thought for thought. The NIV is still good. So if you want to use the NIV, if that's what you grew up with, like I'm not hate on the NIV, I would just recommend maybe pairing that with the ESV at times just um, as a recommendation. If you are primarily using the New Living Translation, um, that's a very popular translation. That's great. I would recommend using the ESV or the CSV. I just would. Like, it's not that I hate the NLT, um, but it is giving you a lot of translation. It's really close to a paraphrase, as you can see on that. Um, and if you're familiar with the message, that's the furthest line over here, all the way to the to the right. The message is great. Like, it's Eugene Peterson, and that guy, he's with the Lord now, but he's one of the smartest men that ever walked this earth. Like, brilliant guy. What he did was he paraphrased the Bible in today's language. So it's like, 
You know, you're like, it, this, this doesn't even feel like the Word of God. This is weird reading it like I'm talking to my friend. Um, and it, he didn't write it so that we would use that as a replacement for our normal Bible. Like it's, some people did that and people freaked out and it was this big thing a few years ago. That's not what Eugene Peterson meant to do. He meant to try to give us a way to pair a paraphrase with our more word-for-word translation. That's what he was doing there. Um, so the message is great, but I, my personal, again, Travis's personal recommendation, I would not recommend using the message definitely or even something like the New Living Translation as your primary study Bible, um, because it's going to give you a lot, again, it's going to do a lot of the translation and interpretation work for you, and you're going to miss out on some things. And they even change the sentence structure, and that can kind of mess with some of the original intent, in my opinion. Again, this is Travis's opinion, um, so, okay. (laughs) Most of the Bibles up there. Oh, nice. Nice. That's awesome. Um, Yeah, so it's really helpful um, to have multiple translations. But if you're going to pick one, I would really push you towards the ESV. Um, If you come on Sundays, you're familiar with that. If you're like, I don't know, I don't really love that, then I would check out the CSB as like your second option. Um, So that's just my little thing on translations. But what's really helpful is if you have the ESV and you're like, man, I'm kind of confused as to what this is saying, look it up in the CSB. Look it up in the NIV. Um, maybe even looking up in the NLT. You know, again, I'm not trying to hate on it, but um, I do a little bit. Um, but look up in, in, in those other translations. That can be really helpful because you're getting somebody else's translation and interpretation perspective, and that can kind of help. Again, don't take it as like, oh, well, what this said is like, that's law. So like the way they translate it, that's the way it's got to be done, and the ESV is just wrong. Like, I'm not saying the ESV can never be wrong or the CSB can never be wrong or anything like that. Um, hold these things with open hands. Like, this is translation of the Word of God. Keep that in mind, okay? Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me so far? Okay, cool. Okay, so translations, big deal. Where were we? Okay, so use multiple translations. Um, let me see here. Oh, this way. That's what I meant to do. Okay, another one is look up words that you don't know. Um, it's okay to use the dictionary. I use the dictionary every time I read a book, every time I read the Bible. If there's a word that I don't know, I look it up in the dictionary. Like, there's no shame in doing that, okay? I'm not, you know, we don't have to be experts on everything. So look up words. If you read a a word and you're like, man, I have no idea what that means, look it up in the dictionary. That will help you know why the translators picked that English word for that passage. So look up words that you don't know. Um, And we're going to get into, like, if you're like, ooh, what is, like, how do I look up what the Greek says? I'll show you how to do that, all right? I'll walk you through that process, but we're not there yet. Um, This is, again, this is reading comprehension, so what's going on? So, like, we should in any book that we read, if you come across a word that you don't know, look it up. Um, It's really helpful to do that so you know what's actually happening. Um, And then I would also say there, beware of your own preconceptions. Um, Your own preconceptions and your uh, spiritual baggage and theology. We all carry this stuff into our reading of the Bible. Um, so let me just you know, give you a little background as to how I grew up. Um, I grew up in a very, uh, what's called an Arminian style church, which is not what Emmaus is. If you come to our growth track, you kind of know what I'm talking about there. We are reformed, um, which means we love things like election and predestination and God's sovereignty. Um, Arminian churches typically are like, well, you know, let's talk, let's define those terms and we'd be really careful. Um, so that's how I grew up. So like the word reformed was like, that's, those are the bad guys, the way that I grew up. Okay. Like we don't talk to those people. Um, they are too much in reformed and sovereignty and all that stuff. We don't talk to them. So when I would come to a place that says like Ephesians chapter one, that says he chose us in love. 
He predestined us in love. I had a way of explaining that based on my own church background. And now I'm the opposite way. I'm on the other side. Like, I'm way far gone, all right? Like, I am way past that. I'm on the, I've swung the other way completely. And the way that happened for me was extremely organic. I did not grow up learning Reformed theology. I had to go seek it out. And thankfully, I had a very helpful professor when I was in my undergrad at a Bible college um, that was Reformed. He was one of the kindest, most humble guys I've ever been around. Um, but man, I started reading the book of Job. You read the book of Job, you cannot come away from the book of Job without a deep understanding of God's sovereignty over all things. And like, it just slaps you in the face at the end when Job is questioning God and he's like, wait a minute, who are you again? Like you read the book of Job, you start out like, oh man, this is terrible, this is crazy. By the end of it, at least for me, I felt like the tiniest little speck on this earth and God is just this massive God, sovereign, more powerful than I could ever hope to imagine. And man, that led me to be in awe of our God. Like it deepened my love and worship of our God. So like that opened my eyes to what God's sovereignty actually meant. And then I read the book of Acts right after that. And what you see in Acts is that the Lord is the one who built the church. So when it says that there were 3,000 people that got saved, the book of Acts says it in the terms of the Lord added to their number. Acts 13.48 said, as many as who were predestined to believe did so. I don't know what to do with that, all right? I can explain that away from the way that I grew up, but like when you're just reading that with fresh eyes, like that changed my theology. And I'm not saying one way is better than the other. I'm just telling you where I landed on my own, but that was really helpful. Like for me to get away from my own spiritual background, my own theological background, and to read things with fresh eyes, that opened up a a whole new understanding uh, of scripture to me. And it was awesome. Like I I love that. So it's a very organic thing for me. So we have to read things with fresh eyes, especially the passages that we're really familiar with. So things like if you grew up in church, like things like Noah and the Ark and Joseph's story, um, like things that we like these constant uh, Bible stories that we tell our kids all the time that we grew up learning. Like it just gets so ingrained in us if you grew up in church that like, oh yeah, I've heard that. I don't need to read more about it. And I'm hoping like, like we did this with Exodus, hopefully like, and we've all heard the story of the Exodus. If you grew up in church, like we know about the parting of the Red Sea, like hopefully us digging deep into it through this sermon series is kind of opened up with fresh eyes. I know it has for me at times, like, oh man, I never thought of it in that way or I never read it in that way because we just get so used to, oh yeah, I've heard that. I know what's going on. I know what's going to happen. Um, yeah, I know, you know, all that stuff. Like we just get it. So um, it's, it's really difficult, but this is kind of one of those things that we have to discipline ourselves of, let me try to clear my head of all the ways that I grew up, all the things that I grew up learning and just read God's word and try to understand it and let God's word tell me what kind of theology I should have, what kind of beliefs I should have, what kind of understanding I should have about God. And look, for me, if you read the book of Job and the book of Acts and you come away with the opposite understanding, like that, you know, Arminian theology is totally cool and all that good stuff, like, I'm okay with that. Like, if you, we don't have to land on the same camp. Like, these are open-handed things. Like, I'm not saying you have to believe what I believe, and if you do it my way, then you're going to become reformed. Like, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to make you converts in reformed theology. But if you come to me and say, Travis, I disagree with your understanding of that passage because of this, and you have biblical reasons, and not this is what I grew up learning, I'm totally cool with that. If you come to me with, well, I, you know, it's just what I grew up learning, then we're going to have a conversation. Let's talk. And I'm cool with that. Like, we can talk about stuff. 
and we'll get to the heart of it, I, I'm sure. But um, to me, that's not, that should not be good enough for us as believers. That, well, that, you know, it's just what the Bible says, so I believe it. And we should know more about why we believe the things we believe. And it comes from studying our Bible. So try to clear your uh, past of all the spiritual baggage and background and theological leanings um, so that we can understand this passage better. And we need to be aware of that when we come to a passage because that's going to affect how we see things. Um, does that make sense? All right, cool. Um, so the main thing, main takeaway here is let the Bible influence your thoughts, ideas, and convictions, not the other way around. Um, okay, so what are some tools to assist in your comprehension? Um, read your Bible every day. There is no substitute for consistency in the Word of God. There's no substitute for that. Spend time in your Bible. Read the Bible um, as consistently as you can. Um, read, 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 read your Bible, spend time daily in the Word of God. Um, the other thing I would say is take notes. Um, I have a journal right next to me that I write a lot of stuff in. Sometimes I'm writing prayers, but what I always write down is a sum at least a summary of what I read that day. What did this passage say? What did it say? That's the first thing I'll do. I'll write down, here's what it was about. That's step one. And then I'll write down, you know, we'll get into interpretation next, but, you know, what does it mean for me? How do I apply this to my life? Like, I'll get into all that kind of stuff too, but I always start out, here's what it said. Were there something that stand out? Did I have a question? I write those things down. Take notes. Um, again, if you, uh, if you don't want to do this next part, I get it. Like, underline, circle, highlight. Um, if you're like, man, Travis, I can't mark up, I can't mark up my Bible. Like, I get that. My, my, Study Bible is not marked up at, at all. Um, this is the Bible that I pretty much read from, or I used to pretty much read from every single day. Um, and this is what I preach from. It's not marked up at all. You will see no marks in this. It's very pristine, except for the first part is falling out for some reason. Um, anyways, I gotta be careful with Genesis. It comes out sometimes. Um, but other than that, no marks. But I really like marking up. So if you were ever in my office, if I'm like in the middle of sermon prep, I have this whiteboard. Um, that kind of, you know, rolls around and it's got two sides to it. I also have um, this, it's like plastic, clear glass stuff on my other wall. You'll see like the passage written out and like tons of marks and notes and arrows pointing over here. And like, and I'll show you a picture of this when we get to the end to show you more about my process with this. Um, but like, I'll mark it up and like, you could barely like, wait, what does that say? What's like, I don't, you almost can't read it at the end because of how much I've marked it up. Um, I don't want to do that with all of my Bibles that I preach from because I'll be reading and be like, wait, what? I don't, Never mind. I marked through this word. I don't know. Can I see it on the screens? Like, I don't want to do that. So I don't mark that up. Um, but what I did uh, recently, um, I bought this journaling Bible and it's been great. So I have some colored pencils that I use and I like, this is what I'm currently doing. Like you can, I'll show you a picture of this like next week, probably when we get to it, but like I'll mark up and I'll make notes. This is great because you've got some wide margins. You got some spaces to take notes. Um, so I love doing that. It's really been a, a good process for me. It's been really helpful. Uh, Larry's got it on his phone because he's more technologically advanced than I am. Um, but another thing, if, if you want to do more of the pen and paper method, um, a really good recommendation, this comes from Jen Wilkin. Um, she's a uh, women's ministry leader. I don't know what to call her, but she's great. She's awesome. Brilliant lady. I have her book up here, Women of the Word. It's awesome. It's basically all of what I'm teaching you today is found in here. Um, what she recommends is to print out your own copy of whatever book you're in. So um, if you want to do that, there's some really easy ways to do that. Again, I'll, I'll show you a video of this, um, but I'll kind of walk you through it real quick. Um, 
A really helpful way to do that is through BibleGateway.com. So if you want to, um, here we go. Um, if you want to print out essentially what your own version would be, you're going to make your own printed copy of the Bible. And what Jen Wilkin recommends is that you print out on paper with wide margins and double spacing so that you can make all the marks and notes you want. And then you're not marking up your pristine copy of the Word of God. You're doing it on paper and pen. Yes. So crossway just like in the last Yeah, the scripture journals. Yeah. Yeah. They came out with one that's double spaced. Yeah, those things are awesome. Um, so yeah, those are great. The ESV Scripture Journals, if you want to look into that, they have one for every single book. That essentially is what I'm going to do with you. But um, if you want to do this, you can go to BibleGateway.com. And Bible Gateway is awesome. Um, what I love about it is you can click over here and see all the different translations. So you don't have to buy a bunch of different copies. You don't have to have a bunch of different copies of translations out at your table or your desk unless you just want to. Like you just go online and you can search and find every, like even ones that like, I don't even know what some of these are, like the Jubilee Bible, what even is that? I don't even know. Um, that's crazy talk. Um, but all you got to do is go over here and you just like type in whatever book you want. Um, we'll do, yeah, sure. First Corinthians. That sounds great. So first Corinthians chapter one, and then you can just copy and paste. And if you want something from Maud Lily, you can do that too. So you just copy and paste, and you just copy it, and then you can go over here and like your Microsoft Word document, and you just paste it in there. It's really easy, super simple. Um, and again, I got a video that I, I walk you through how to do that and walk you through how to use other things on BibleGateway.com, which again, I'll send you a link of that as well. But if you wanted to make your own, um, if you want to do it on your phone, totally, that's great. Do whatever works for you. Like this is all about, I'm giving you some tools and then you make it your own. So you don't have to do it the way that Travis does it. You don't have to buy a journaling Bible if you don't want to. You don't have to print out copies. You don't have to do it the way that I'm doing it. These are just helpful tools um, to try to walk you through um, some high level process. So if you want to circle and highlight and make notes, I think that's awesome do it. If you don't want to mark up your own Bible, I'm not saying you can't. Like, don't take away like, oh, well, Travis said you can't mark up your Bible. No, you can't. I, I just showed you. I marked up the journaling Bible. I just chose not to mark up the other ones because I don't have enough room. I would run out of space very quickly marking these up. Um, so I needed something with more space. Other times I would just write stuff down in my journal. Um, so again, that's a really helpful way to do it too. But if you wanted this, um, you could easily just copy and paste into a Word document, print it out. You've got your own copy of the Word of God that you can mark up and circle things and highlight and ask questions and whatever you want to do. Um, and I'll show, again, like, I, you can, I'll show you a picture towards the end of like how I do it. Um, it's basically like underlining or circling or putting brackets around things and using different colors that have no meaning whatsoever. Um, like my wife, and she left so I can say this now, but like she's very like more process oriented than I am. So like, you know, this color is this. If she were to use color, she'd probably do that. I don't think she does though, but um, that's not for me. Like I, I'm like with John Piper. If you've ever seen a video of John Piper market up stuff, he uses all these weird like squiggly lines and arrows pointing to other things and writing notes. And he's like, yeah, somebody asked me what these things mean. He's like, they don't mean anything. They just help me focus on different sections. I'm like, yes, finally, somebody that does it like I do. That's awesome. And it's John Piper, so I can feel great um, about that because he's brilliant. So do whatever makes, makes sense for you, whatever is helpful for you. I like using different colors in different sections so it, it points my eyes towards different things. If you don't like that, you just want to use blue or black or what, like that's fine. Do whatever works for you. Um, but find ways if you want to take, like, I think it's really good to take notes. So however you're going to do that, if it's marking up your Bible, if it's printing out your own copy, if it's doing it on your phone or laptop or whatever, um, if it's in a journal, like whatever it is, take notes, 
write your observations down. Um, and then the last thing, again, like I mentioned, a good study Bible is really, really helpful. I can't um, implore you enough to uh, get a good study Bible and invest in that. All right, so um, that is our first step, observation. Um, any questions? None. Wow. That sounds great. Okay. All right, we got some time. I think we're supposed to end at 8, right? Does that sound good? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I think I'm just going to pause. I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pause. There's no questions? Yes, Christy. Um, I, I've never done like real study in the mm -hmm. Bible, so this is very new for me. Wouldn't it, you don't find it confusing to go from old to new? I feel like for me, I'm, I don't know, I just get worried that I would get confused. Yeah. But you suggested pick one from the old and then switch to the new and kind of go back and forth. I would, yeah. Um, if you're going to spend time, so just if in case anybody couldn't hear, the question was like, if you get confused going from Old Testament to New Testament and vice versa and switching back and forth. Um, for me, no, but I can see how that would be confusing. Um, again, if Kendra were in here, she would say that is confusing. So I get that. So if this is a brand new thing for you, I think it would be helpful um, to get a... a all right, I'm going to throw some big words out there, but I'll explain them. So the meta narrative of scripture is a really important thing to know. Um, and that's basically what the, the high arching story is of the Bible. Um, and the way that I summarize it is there's creation, which we see in Genesis 1. So God created everything. And then there was a fall that happened in Genesis chapter 3. That's when sin entered the world. Uh, so corrupted everything. Um, so there's creation, fall, redemption, which comes through Christ. The rest of the Old Testament points towards what would happen in Christ. Then we have Christ. He's dies on the cross, raised from the dead, salvation comes to those who believe, and then after that it's all about people living as Christians in this world for Jesus. Um, so that is the central thing of the Bible. The Old Testament is pointing towards that culmination. It happens and the rest of the Bible is out, out of the aftermath of that. So there's uh, creation, fall, redemption through Christ, and then consummation is the last one. So at the end, Right now we're living in this weird, awkward phase of like Christ has saved us from our sins, but I still struggle with sins. There's still evil and brokenness in the world. But in Revelation 21, um, 20 and 21, we see this promise that God is going to recreate everything with the new heavens and the new earth. He's going to put an end to all sin, evil, pain and suffering, and we will live with him in complete perfection. So that's consummation. So that's kind of how the Bible, like the high arching Bible story. So you could spend some time studying that. Um, would be a great way to do that, to kind of familiarize yourself with the uh, different storylines and what's going on. So the meta-narrative of Scripture is a key term to know. Um, the other thing, yeah, you could also just start in Genesis and read. Um, you're going to get to the confusing, difficult parts of the Old Testament, which is kind of why I say give yourself a break with the New Testament. Um, it's a little easier to read the letters of Paul than it is the Old Testament law or the prophets because the letters are written in primarily propositional statements, which we understand a lot easier than figurative, prophetic language in the Old Testament. So um, that's why I, I think... I still would probably recommend doing it Old Testament and New Testament um, because there's so many resources that I showed you with, with the Bible Project to, to familiarize yourself with what's going on and to help you uh, put like a 
you know, here's a stake in the ground of, of what's going on. And I know what's happening here and how I can tie that back. Um, I can see how that would be confusing. Let's talk a little bit more afterwards. I can give you some more resources on that. Is that okay? That was a really good question. Studying systematic theology? Um, I mean, I love theology, so yeah, of course. Um, so here's kind of uh, what systematic theology is, is what it tries to do is take a topic or a doctrine um, that we see. So is, you know, the doctrine of God. And what do we see throughout the entire scope of scripture about God? And how can we put that into nice boxes that we can help understand what's happening with God. Um, so that's really good. But what they're doing is they're taking a survey of everything that's used in Scripture and then distilling it down into a way that makes sense for us today. So systematic theology is really helpful. Love systematic theology. If you want a good systematic theology book, I can recommend several to you. Um, but it's a, it's a little bit of a different practice than studying your Bible. Does that make sense? Like it, it, they can go together. I'm not saying you have to pick one or the other, um, but I would say don't read systematic theology over studying your Bible. I would definitely say that. Um, but if you're looking to understand more, like if you come across the doctrine of, you know, redemption or regeneration, like when it talks about the Holy Spirit making us new, regeneration, you want to like, man, I really want to know more about the doctrine of regeneration. That's where systematic theology comes in. If you want to learn more about the doctrine of the Trinity, that's where systematic theology can really help give clarity um, and a lot of wisdom and insight on those specific doctrines or theological statements that we have. Does that make sense? Um, so yeah, I think it pairs really well with studying your Bible, and I don't think you have to pick one or the other, um, but I think that's the way it would kind of flow, I guess. Start with your Bible, and then as you study that and dig deep into that, use the systematic theology to help you dig deeper into specific doctrines or subjects or whatever the case is that you're studying. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. It does. I've got them all. Which one do you have? Oh, is that Grudem systematic theology? Is that really th perfect? It's the best one, in my opinion. That's great. That's a good start, man. Yeah, that's great. It's good stuff. Good questions. Yeah. Yes. That's what I was gonna say. What I ended up doing as I kind of started was I read the Synoptic Gospels first. Yeah, it's great. And then to understand, so that gave me a kind of, uh, okay, this is Jesus. But then to understand, like you know, I think Jesus quoted was the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So then I went back and did a survey and I went systematically through the Old Testament okay this is and then I went back and redid the synoptic gospels yeah that's good then, then all of a sudden they made sense when he was saying you know uh, when he was talking to the Jews about stuff because yeah you know like especially when he talks about Moses and stuff so you can actually go back and just look at specific things that Jesus quotes and then okay I'm just gonna I'm gonna read uh, the Torah because he talks about that a yeah lot. a lot some of Isaiah etc Right. Yeah. And that's great. And that's a great starting point is Jesus. And I love that. So, yeah. That's good.